Good day and welcome to Autism in Color. I'm your host, LaBecky Rowe. Today, my co-host, Siobhan Robinson, could not be here, but we have board member Jennifer Briggs sitting in, and we're interviewing Dizan Riel McCrary. She has an eight-year-old son who's on the autism spectrum, and we're going to hear a little bit about her story. Welcome, Dizan Riel and Jennifer. Thank you. Good afternoon. We appreciate you being here today, Desanriel. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about the opportunity just to share my story. Okay. So I had the opportunity to speak with you prior to this interview, and you were telling me a few things about your son, Jay. So I want you to share with the audience what led you to get your son tested and how old was he when he was tested? Um, starting out, you know, um, initially I had a thing, he's the youngest of three. Um, I have a set of twins who were 16 years older than him. So when I had him, things had really changed as far as just having your children tested, you know, before and the different things, you know, just going through, um, after postpartum and all of that and after birth. Um, and I was skeptical about having him vaccinated. But it just, for me, I just felt comfortable with asking a lot of questions. I wasn't quick to just accept any and everything that they offered me to do, you know, with him. And every appointment he went to, he met all his developmental milestones. Um, it was, he was basically doing baby babbling and everything. He was, the only problems that he really had was acid reflex was the main thing that he was diagnosed with at birth. Um, and we had concerns about, you know, the acid reflex and the throwing up so much that, you know, it was doing some type of damage to his esophagus or his, you know, stomach area. And so we wanted to have him tested further by gastrointestinal specialists of pediatrics. And the doctor wasn't so quick to give us referrals to things like that. So right before he got his euro shot, those, um, the MMR and, um, it was four shots that he got at one time. And this was about, I want to say he was about 10 months. We noticed on his third injection, he froze up. And when he froze up, we kind of like, you know, what was that about? And the nurse is like, I don't know. I've never seen that before. On his fourth injection, his dad kind of shook him and then he started crying. So it was like a delayed response. And after that, we just noticed everything, and I mean almost instantly, everything just went in total reverse for him. He stopped baby babbling. He stopped trying to pull up and roll over and crawl. He stopped um, looking at you face-to-face in the eyes. He stopped making any type of gestures or facial expressions. And then he would get to the point we noticed a lot of sensory issues, such as he would squeeze things very tight. He would start to rock and just stay off in the the space. And I was like, what, you know, what's going on with my child? And being that I'm hearing impaired, as I told you um, before, previously when we had spoke, um, I was concerned that maybe he couldn't hear me and maybe he was losing his hearing or something like that. So we had his ears tested and they said that his ears were perfectly fine. And so um, my best friend, which is also his godmother, she's an occupational therapist, she observed him one day in church. And she was like, you know, 
um, Nika is what everybody calls me. She was like, you may want to have him evaluated. And I was like, evaluated for what? And she was like, just have him evaluated. And so she sent me a link to an autism website that showed all the different signs or symptoms that a child may display that may be a red flag that the child may be autistic. And she said, well, look at this with this site. And she said, tell me if you see any of these symptoms in Jay. And I said, okay. So on a list of 10 items, he had eight strong. And so I was like, what are you saying? And you think my child autistic? I said, I, how can you know this early in life that he good at art? And she said, that don't mean he good at art. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I laugh about it now is because that's one of my stories I advocate about. You know, we, we lack knowledge about autism and people have no idea, no clue, unless they really educate themselves on what it is. And I was dumb to it. I just didn't know what it was at all. I thought it dealt with art or something like that. And my child was gifted at an early age. And she was like, no, she said, you need to have them evaluated. She said, you may want to start with a speech therapist. And I said, okay. So make a long story short, I had them evaluated by a friend of the family. Uh, who was a speech pathologist up in Atlanta, and she did the general testing on him that she would do on any of her patients, and she said, I will give you the full diagnosis on his speech so that you could take it back to his doctor, show his doctor, and let him know you've had him evaluated, and this is what you have. And he was basically, um, his speech was delayed in all areas, and she was like, well, there were some other things that came up in her test that show red flags to other areas, but she couldn't diagnose because she didn't specialize in those areas. But she right. did encourage me to get him further evaluated. And I was like, wow. I said, okay. So um, I took it back to his doctor. And still, even with that, he denied me any further referrals to have him evaluated by um, a psychiatrist or anything a behavior specialist. He said it was too early. So the doctor didn't refer you to um, birth to three, which is um, um, before you go to school, it actually starts work with um, children with disabilities to start helping them kind of um, navigate those areas that they're having difficulty at an early age. So it's kind of like an early intervention you were not referred by the doctor? And here in Georgia, it's called Babies Can't Wait. And that's where they would actually come to the house and they would, you know, work with the child in the areas of speech and OT and physical therapy if that was an issue and that. But he didn't display any um, delays in the area of physical. But he did not meet any further referrals to further have him evaluated. Um, I don't know if he was skeptical about anything went wrong in the process of the vaccinations or whatever. I started doing more and more research on vaccinations and how they may affect autism. And there were a lot of things that kind of came up that, you know, really didn't give me no for sure answers that it really supported, you know, that. But at the same time, I know a lot of parents that I've spoken with, they feel that the vaccinations, they're not saying that it gave their child autism, but with your child's DNA makeup and anything that may make up those characteristic traits to cause your child to have autism, along with these vaccinations, especially being given to them at that all at one time, 
may have had some contributing factor as why this was brought out to, brought out in him at such an early age and came out so strong. I'm not saying that. I am saying that pretty much my child was normal. He was acting normal, and all his de developmental milestones were met perfectly up until these shots. After that, everything just went in reverse, and the doctor would not give me any further referrals. I really had to go and consult and try to get things done on my own. I fired him and got another pediatrician. And within 15 minutes of my child's first visit with this doctor, my child had a referral to a gastrointestinal specialist. He had a referral to an allergy specialist. And he had a referral to the Marcus Institute in Atlanta, which is basically the NFL for autism. Within, and which had a waiting list up to a year more. My child was seen within six months of being on that waiting list. On his second visit, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So I know that you said that you, you were able to get into an institute down in Atlanta to get your son tested within six months. It didn't take a year, but it took you six months, which, which the time was less which was great for you and your son. So upon getting the diagnosis, how, what did you feel? Did you go back to the, that sheet that you had looked at and you saw that your son had eight out of 10 of the um, characteristics of autism? Um, actually, once I got the diagnosis, at I was trying to prepare myself for it. Um, but in the meantime, I was really trying to connect with other parents just to kind of see what I was really getting ready to deal with. And for the most part, when she gave my son the diagnosis of autism, I said, what really does that mean? She said, well, I will say this. Once you are diagnosed with autism, that's a lifetime diagnosis. She said, it's better for you to have the diagnosis and get the help you need than not have it and he not get the help that he needs. And Absolutely. so for me, you know, that really gave me a, you know, a breath of fresh air to know, but at the same time, it's like, well, what really are we about to deal with, you know? Now, now um, what, right? Now right. what? So, so they were really resourceful as far as just giving us a whole guideline on different things that we were dealing with with him, such as feeding disorder. My son had to go through um, therapy every week in Atlanta just to help him with his feeding um, and being able to go through the steps of that. Yes. So was it that he could not digest food? It was more or less of him overstuffing his mouth and the process. I guess it was some a little bit of OT where the process of getting the food from the plate to his mouth and then what to do with it once it's in his mouth. Okay. And be because he had sensory processing disorder, it was more or less of the type of things he was putting in his mouth as well. When you say so the type of things, what do you mean? He, I, it, was, it was more so certain textures he liked to feel in his mouth. And so there were certain foods he wouldn't eat and certain foods he would eat to where we would have to bring three items that he liked and then bring an item that he didn't like. And they would honestly observe him in those sessions of eating the foods that he liked and eating the foods that he didn't like and what he would do. Okay, so I have a question um, with your process that you're going there. So did they give 
to um, any type of um, support group information because that's a lot. I mean, to see a gastrointestinalist, see an OT specialist, to see a um, speech therapist, to see, I mean, I would hope that they also referred you to a parent support group and even maybe a support group for the, the child to be around his peers um, so he had some interaction as well. Um, it's good that you say that because he was diagnosed in Atlanta um, at the Marcus Institute and we live in Warner Robins, Georgia, which is located in the middle Georgia area, which is about 15 minutes below Macon, Georgia. So we were about an hour and a half away from where his um, actual therapy sessions were in the beginning. Um, there were actually no support groups and no facilities at that time that he was diagnosed, which was in 2014, present in our area that was really catering to children with autism. They were in the process of starting facilities, but they were not already in place for me to go to at that time. Okay, I want to go back to when you talked about textures of food. Is it that he likes, does he like soft food or he likes food that is crunchy? And when you say, when you said something about sensory and, and packing his mouth, does he overpack his mouth with food? And is that why he's having the problem with digesting? Um, well, as you know, Justin, you have a child on the spectrum as well. And I really, really grange at, you know, talking about this part of it. But when it comes to texture, there were certain things that, you know, I think he was more immune to soft textures as opposed to crunchy and hard. I think it was more of the sound with the crunchy and hard that kind of made him not really want to eat anything hot crunchy. Um, but those soft textures, he would, it was more the mushing it. He wouldn't chew his food. So he would overstuff his mouth and he would just swallow it. And then the next thing you're dealing with is him spitting it out and throwing it up. So that was kind of the routine. We had to start coming up with ways to feed him smaller portions or give it to him in smaller portions because he wouldn't use a fork. He wouldn't use a spoon. He would just grab everything with his hands and his fists and he would just put it in his mouth, you know? Yes. Okay. So I was teaching him all of that. Okay, okay. And so at what age, what age was he doing that? At what age? Um, he was doing that. Um, I want to say he really started showing signs of trying to feed himself after a year old. Because okay. remember, everything just kind of slowed up. You know, where kids would normally start trying to feed themselves with a spoon because he wasn't on a bottle anymore or anything like that. He was still in a sippy cup. He was in a sippy cup for a while. Um, but he got to a point to where it was just more or less just overstuffing his mouth. So we were continuously feeding him at least almost until he was two years old. Okay. One of the, um, one of the, um, methods or strategies that they use when children are having trouble like that, and I don't know if this is widespread information is having them have a, a milkshake and a shorter straw because it forces them to use those muscles that are, are having mm -hmm. that effect because a lot of the um, muscles that we use to chew and to swallow 
um, our foods um, are in that that kind of sucking kind of motion. So was that one of the things that you were given with him? No, because one of the things that my son displayed with the sensory issues, he was very, he's, he's a big boy for his age, and he was very strong. And a lot of the things he would do, it would be more or less like if he grabbed anything or if he put anything in his mouth, he would cringe down on it or he would snatch it or he would ball it up, you know, or something like that. So that mm-hmm. whole process of sucking in a straw, he didn't grasp that almost until he was about three years old because everything that he would put in his mouth, it was more that he would just bite on it or he would hold it. That's just like with a four, four spoon. We had to continue to use plastic with him because if we gave him metal forks and spoons, they were afraid it was going to damage his teeth because when he, you know, put anything in his mouth, he's going to crunch down on it. He'll hold Mm -hmm. it and he won't let it go. So it was a lot of just things that we had to learn about the process of just taking things step by step and it was constant repetition all the time constant repetition so as you move forward in age with him did things get better what are some what are some other i want to say obstacles right what are some other obstacles you may have encountered or what are some other behaviors because with Kids on the spectrum oh. sometimes they have behaviors and and if you're not if you if you're not in tune to autism you wouldn't notice them you wouldn't call them behaviors you may call them something else. Right. Um, one of the things um, I do um, and I don't talk about it a whole lot, but um, when he would um, fall his diaper, he would play in it and he would put it in his mouth, and of course. You know, yeah, we had to learn it was part of the sensory issue. And, you know, they had to teach us that he doesn't know that that's nasty. You know, you have to train him and teach him what's edible and what's not edible. And it could be anything, anything that's not edible, you know. But that was one of the things that we used to deal with a lot. And it would be in some of the most opportune times that he would do it, you know, in public. And we would be like, oh, my God, you know, we got to go, you know. <laughs> so we wrapping right. our child up and trying to get him right. You know, but um, it those behaviors and then it was the reaction as he got older that we learned that depending on how you react to the things that he does, he's either seeking attention or trying to escape something that he doesn't want to do. And so depending on how you react to him, it's going to either cause him to do it more or he'll stop. And so sometimes no reaction is better in his case because He's looking for you to react to it. And if he gets a certain reaction out of it that he likes, he's going to continue to do it. And and, and Jennifer can uh, attest to that word escape, right, Jen? Oh, (laughs) definitely. Um, Task avoidance, escaping behaviors, and even um, some some, um, children, they elope. They just leave. They go to another area. They'll shut themselves in another room. Um, so those are the behaviors that you kind of want to find out what the why, the antecedent, what's happening before the behavior mm-hmm. and what is the, the reinforcement that you're getting. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a consequence and people don't understand that. 
Right. It could just be um, what happened. You know, what is what is what is the um, the child getting for doing those behaviors? Um, right. And it does take a long time for you to kind of out and see what the cause is. Yeah, okay. and in most cases, it was more rewarding my son for his good behavior as opposed to responding to the negative behavior because mm -hmm. his negative behaviors would result in him just escalating and just going just that harder with you, you know. And of course, we knew it was as a result of his develop, you know, developmental issues and some of it was autism as well, as opposed to just behavior, which took us forever to try to get him in the ABA therapy. With that, we're gonna take a short pause for the cause and we'll be right back with Izan Riel and Jennifer. Hi, this is LaBecky of Autism in Color. If you are listening to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or Google, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We want to hear your feedback, your thoughts on our shows. If you would like to be on our show, to do a commercial on our show, drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you because we are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, Inc., serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website to get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. Find us at letstalkaboutittheautismcenter.org. Email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or call us at 704 835-3605. Let's talk about it. The Autism Center, where we're keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Autism in Color is back with Dizon Riel and Jennifer. And we're going to continue asking Dizon Riel questions about her son, Jay. And we're going to move forward. And we want to know today, Jay is eight years old. Can you tell us, are you getting any services like ABA? You were speaking about ABA earlier. How is ABA working out for you or for him? Wow, ABA has been a godsend. <laughs> it okay. took us forever to get it. Um, he was on the waiting list. Uh, he just recently got ABA therapy probably within the last two years. So he was towards the end of his first grade year in school before he actually got um, started beginning to get the services. There was a lot of inconsistency. Like I said before, there's not a lot of resources down this way. So the different facilities that are offering ABA therapy, they're lacking the um, professionals to be able to stay employed or be able to carry through the services because there's so many children down this way with autism and on the list. So, Where is it that you live again? We live in Warner Robins. Which is in Georgia. And it's yes. a rural area, correct? Yes. Uh, if you know Robins Air Force Base, that's where we're located. Okay. Um, so 
for the most part, he's getting speech and OT in school, and he's also getting them both privately. Um, and then he goes to ABA therapy five days a week, two hours a day. Um, pretty very intense because he's been on a very strict sensory diet, which allows him to do specific things that he likes to do, but within a certain amount of time and a certain way that we allow him to do it. Um, but I have a question. When you talk about the services that he receives in school, um, is he an, on an alternate uh, course of study? Um, how does he do in school? Is he in a, a regular education classroom? He's in a special needs classroom um, with about six or seven children in the classroom. All of them have different disabilities. Um, and he's, his IEP is more designed for him to be more one-on-one. -on -one. Um, he went through Head Start and while he was going to Head Start, he was going to school half a day prior to going to kindergarten. So he was in a pre-K program in the school system. So he had extensive exposure to being in a classroom setting prior to actually starting kindergarten, uh, which really helped out a lot. He loves going to school. He rides the school bus, which is a special needs bus. Um, so the services that they are offering to him in school and the learning environment, I'm definitely pleased with that because it does give him a normal setting, you know, even though he's in a classroom with other special needs children. Do you know if your school participates in any um, programs such as the Unified Champions and a Unified Champion School is one where they try to make sure that students with disabilities get a chance to interact with their general education peers. So they might um, have PE or they have art together. Um, some kind of um, academic exposure. So Unified Champions is um, a program that some schools have that give you or give the students a chance to interact with their general education peers. So they're able to participate in physical education together. They might have art together, sometimes science, some um, curriculum, that they are with their same age peers? Um, as far as I know, they have what they call a child find program um, in the school system here. And they also have what they call an inclusion program in Georgia. So it does allow them to be able to go to the different extracurricular um, classes such as art, PE and music. Um, as, and I want to say they do sit in in the classroom with other students, but for the most part, um, and the, he was in a primary school. So the school only went up to second grade. Um, so this year he'll be going to a different school. So he'll be going from third to fifth grade there. But in this school setting, for the most part, they kept the special needs classes together. Does Jay have any special talent? Jay loves music now. <laughs> Jay, he, his brother plays the guitar and the keyboard. And so we, Jay showed interest in wanting to do what his brother does. His brother's 16 years older than him. I uh, actually turned 25 today. Um, 
And so Jay tries to do everything Big Brother does. So Jay gets, we get Jay a guitar. Jay's left-handed. So his brother's right-handed. So the task on stringing Jay's guitar the opposite way so that he can learn how to play the guitar has been a task for him and his brother because, of course, Jay tries to imitate exactly what he does his way, but it's a task because Jay's left-handed and his brother's right-handed. So that has been interesting. He's also shown interest in wanting to play the piano or keyboard. And so I actually signed him up for private music lessons with a pianist. And boy, I tell you, he gave that lady a run for her life <laughs> because it was in her home. So he would come in and at first it was the interest of him to go to the keyboard and hear the keys, you know, and, and listen to her play music and stuff like that. But she has never taught a child with autism, or at least not at his level. And the child that she did um, have previously, he was higher functioning. So he was like Asperger's, you know, and he was verbal. My son is nonverbal. So when we would go in, her focus, as I was trying to show her, it's going to be constant repetition. Whatever you do, you're going to have to do it a lot more for him for him to get it before you go to the next step. And I think that was a bit much for her to grasp for what she was used to with her other students his age. So it got to be overwhelming for her. It was more or less, we were having to deal more with behavior issues with him as far as getting him to get from the door to the piano, to hitting one key and not hitting all the keys, you know, and just kind of being structured in the setting, but rewarding him after every step that he accomplished something, she had to reward him. So that was a task within itself. But uh, we discontinued music lessons because I think it was a little bit more for her than it was for him. And uh, she said, well, when he's ready, you know, I'll be more than happy to take him you know, work with him. So we had to put a hold on music lessons. <laughs> okay, well, at least you tried and that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> and you know where his talent lies. Yeah. Definitely. And you mentioned that you that Jay is nonverbal. So I have a couple of questions on how do you communicate? I know that you said you're partially hearing, you're hearing impaired. Do you use sign language with Jay or does he use a communication board? Um, how do how does he communicate and let you know what he needs? Well, we use everything possible. <laughs> um our house is, is is definitely comical. I can't hear and he can't talk. So you can only imagine what we deal with from day to day. And I think the older he's gotten, he really knows that his mom was deaf. And he uses that to his advantage. But in a sense, he's very smart. And he really does try to help be my ears. And it really just brings tears to my eyes because he's like my security you know, because I'm his voice, but he's my ears. The things that I don't hear, he hears for me. And he lets me know, you know, to go to this or, you know, or whatever, because he hears something, you know. Um, so that for me is, 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 is priceless. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. Because even though he's young and people assume that because he's nonverbal that he, you know, he don't understand. He understands way more than he's able to communicate. But he does use a device. Um, and he does use um, some signs, 
language. Um, I'm not fluent in sign language, but he kind of makes up his own sign language, and along with some of the um, signs that they have taught him in speech therapy uh, to definitely get through day to day. One of his speech therapists, which I thought was kind of interesting, she said she didn't want to focus so much on him knowing sign language, but be able to identify and communicate when needed with it, because she said most of the children and people he would come into contact with wouldn't know sign language. And so she didn't want him to totally depend on signing as a means to communicate, because how would you communicate to someone who didn't even know it? That's true. So that, that's a valid point. And I wasn't sure if you, um, if you would use sign language, you know, as a partial of, of strategy for being hearing impaired, um, because I know I in some, some areas it is beneficial. Yeah, I, I don't. I do know enough to kind of communicate with him, but he does use various gestures. Now he's pointing and going to things. Um, I really um, encourage him to talk, and I tell him all the time, you can talk. Open your mouth and talk. Tell me what it is that you want. And That's I tell him not because he does a lot of whining, you know, and making a lot of noises. And I tell him, look, everybody's not going to understand the whining. They're not going to know if you're hurting or what. I said, you communicate to people and let people know what you want. I said, point or take me to it or show me pictures. And we use pictures a lot. Uh, he has a picture book that they made him in ABA therapy and in speech. And he takes these pictures. He'll go to this Velcro book. He'll take it off and he'll shake it to you. And we would reward him for that because it replaced the whole whining and fussing, you know, about what he wanted. Good for you. It seems that you've learned, Jay. And, and, and I want to go back to something that you said about uh, him speaking. The misconception about autism is that because they do not speak, that they don't understand. When in fact, they understand everything that you're saying. And that's right. why they're able to do the things that they do. And he's right. able to take you to the noise that he hears because right. he's, he's understanding that something is going on. And uh -huh. that's what we want to get across to the people out here in America, <laughs> that persons on the spectrum do understand what is being said. So don't be deceived because you may say <laughs> something. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, you might get a response. <laughs> right. Maybe a response you didn't know that you would get, you know? Right. And so we just want we, we just want people to know that because that is truly a misconception. Yeah, it is. It really is. And like I said, for the most part, he pays attention to a lot more than what we think he does because Absolutely. he's, I mean, he's like a copycat. If he see you do something one way, he records it in his mind and he's going to do it the same way. So I tell people, be careful on what you do in front of him because the way he see you do it, that is the way he's going to do it. I tell his brothers that all the time, you know, be careful what you do around him. But he's, he plays very close attention to details. Um, and he loves his um, tablet and he goes on his tablet and his older brother drives trucks and he likes big trucks. He likes trash trucks. He likes 18 wheels. So he goes on his device and literally learns how to work the inside of an 18 wheeler. And so when he goes in his brother's truck, 
he knows how to set the truck up ready for the road, just like his brother does. And when I tell you this little eight-year-old boy ready to ride, he ready to ride. He just can't touch the gas pedal and stand with it. <laughs> See, and that's, that's a talent that he has. So he likes trucks. Like you have some kids who like history, music, just like playing. Yeah. His thing is his thing is trucks. That's what's up. Yeah. And that that that's really great. So I want to ask you, what are some things that you're looking forward in the future for for Jay? What are some accomplishments um, you're looking? What are some goals you've set for him for the near future? Because he's still young yet. Um, well, I'm learning day by day that my son can read. Um, I just wait for that day. You know, hopefully I'm not totally deaf before it happens, but I want to hear my son talk, you know. And I think for any parent that has a nonverbal child, you know, that's just that day. When that day comes, it's just going to be heartfelt, you know. Yes. Um, but I want him to be able to communicate with me um, so that I know his pains. I know his desires. I know his wants. I want him to be able to go to and participate in activities like other children without being labeled as, you know, not able to do it because he has developmental delays or it takes him a little longer to process these type of things. But I know it's going to be, you know, a process. But I don't want him to feel like that he can't do anything because of his disability. And I don't use his disability as a clutch for him as uh, why he can't accomplish anything because I'm an advocate of anything that you want to do. I'm going to push him to do it and I'm going to support him 100%. And that's a great outlook to have because one of the things that I find is some parents want to shelter their child because of a disability instead of letting them experience life because they need to experience life. They need to go to the movie theater. They need to go roller skating. They need to have those outings where they're walking downtown and they're seeing the big buildings. And have, hearing you say that and knowing that you have such a, a passion for making sure that he can experience everything, I'm sure Jay is going to be the apple of your eye and you're going to hear his voice. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. We're in the process of actually working on a book and it's called um, Our Life Our Life Unspoken and Never Heard Of. And it's basically the story about me and his journey through autism because I used to host a 5K walk for autism here in middle Georgia every year with my nonprofit organization. And somebody captured a picture at the 5K walk of me and Jay walking and all you could see was the mountains and the road ahead in the 5K walk. And there was nobody in front of us. It was just a plain curvy road. And then there were mountains and I was holding his shoulder and we were just walking together. And so that's gonna be the cover of the book. And I just felt like God just put that you know, in my in my my vision to move forward with the book just to share our journey throughout this. Dizanriel, I want to say thank you for sharing your story with us. You are a warrior. You're an advocate for autism and know that God chose you because he knew that you would make sure that the path for Jay would be clear. And that's what's up. And we appreciate you being here today. Thank you. And we will definitely be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. This is LaBecky Rowe of Autism in Color, and this is our Autism Moment with Renita Saltabus.
Nehemiah unfortunately faced bullying school. I am very much that mother that says my children won't fight, but I will fight for my children. But I got a call at work one day and Nehemiah, uh, I was told there was an incident. There was an incident at school. Nehemiah's okay. We're just letting you know. And the girl thought she was going to bully Nehemiah. And my child was just very meek, very calm, very docile. Um, took to heart what I was pounding in her head every day. No one touches you. You stand up for yourself. Um, this girl grabbed Nehemiah and Nehemiah defended herself. It wasn't violent, it wasn't, but Nehemiah defended and stood up for herself and went straight to uh, security and let them know uh, what had happened, what the other party did and what she did to defend herself. That was a moment for me because it, it, it's my greatest fear, my greatest fear in life that someone would um, try to take advantage of her, hurt her. I'm sorry, I'm tearing up. Hurt her in any way. In that moment, I was not there to protect her. And she did it for herself, for herself and she felt good. That's my moment. This has been the Autism Moment on Autism in Color. Hi, this is Rebecca of Autism in Color. If you are listening to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or Google, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We want to hear your feedback, your thoughts on our shows. If you would like to be on our show, to do a commercial on our show, drop us a line at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. That's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you because we are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation.